Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Uh, Two weeks into a series that we started last week uh, called Rhythms of Grace, and we've got uh, uh, this great little uh, booklet where you can just journey along. It's for our life groups, but it's a little bit of a a journal that you can use as well uh, as we go through the series, and you can grab that at the back uh, on your way out if you want, or it is online as well. If you're a bit more digital, you use your iPad or whatever, grab this. And there's some great resources uh, at the back as well uh, that you can access. And I'm going to be pointing to some resources today as well, because uh, we are looking at the practices of Jesus and how we can walk in a rhythm of grace. You know, we live in a world that forces us and shapes us uh, in certain ways. And we all have habits. We're all disciples. We all have disciplines, whether they're intentional or not. Uh, We do things every day that deeply shape and form us. uh, And we can be intentional about those or not but we are all being shaped. We're all being formed. And Jesus invites us into a place of grace. And we kicked that off last week. If you didn't hear the message, go back and listen to it. But Jesus invites us into a way of life that is light. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's his promise to us, rhythms of grace. We are invited into new rhythms, but to live the life of Jesus is to enter into the lifestyle of Jesus. And Jesus had a whole range of practices, things that he did that enabled him to live in this rhythm. And he invites us to do that. And so over the coming six, well, over six weeks, we're now five weeks in, we are looking at different ways in which we can walk and live in the way of Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus. And last week, we looked at simplicity that we live in a, a world of, of complexity, pursuing consumeristic materialism. That is what's sold to us. And so we find ourselves in our culture, in our world, chasing after money, chasing after experiences. That's the kind of life that we're told that we should live. And simplicity is the invitation to fight consumerism, to fight materialism. And today we're looking at prayer, because we live in a world of distraction. And the gift of grace in prayer enables us to fight against distraction. We're able to fight distraction through the practice of prayer. Now, during the week, I, I, uh, I picked up some gastro, uh, which was very exciting. I know you wanted to hear that this morning. Just start the sermon by just divulging what was going on with my body during the week. Um, but as, as, as I was sick, I was up late um, on, uh, on Wednesday night, and uh, I was watching TV, and uh, I don't know, on most channels it felt like anyway, was the procession of the Queen uh, through the streets of London to Westminster Hall where she was placed. And uh, this procession through London with, with dignitaries and all the pomp and ceremony that comes with uh, England, they do it so well, don't they? And the royal family walking behind. It was, it was fast. I loved watching it. It was slightly nostalgic for me, if, if I'm honest. And then they, they, they arrived 
arrived at Westminster Hall, which I've actually had the, I've actually been into Westminster Hall, and they laid the coffin there, and uh, so that so that people could walk through, and they still are still queuing. Like you know, there's a queue, you know, four miles long for people to walk around, and uh, there are a couple of things that struck me as I watched this ceremony take place on Wednesday night. The first thing was when they actually held the service and you saw the Archbishop, he's there, the Archbishop of Canterbury there. He led this service. And during the service, he, they, they, they gathered together and, and they, they shared in what we did before, which was the Lord's Prayer. And what was interesting was the royal family and everybody who was there had an order of service. But as they did the Lord's Prayer, maybe like you did a little bit earlier on, we had a little bit of a different version to PJ this morning. Uh, but, uh, but they all knew the Lord's Prayer off by heart. They didn't need the order of service to share in the Lord's Prayer. It would been something that had been uh, built into them from when they were very young, and maybe that's true for you as well. You know the Lord's Prayer. In fact, I'm sure we did, many of us today. The Lord's Prayer had been taught and had embedded deep into people's hearts. That was the first thing I found interesting. The second thing that I found interesting was as, as this whole ceremony was going on, they had commentators come and share their stories of the Queen. They had someone who knew the Queen well, sharing and talking. It was very interesting as they are talking about the character of the Queen that this commentator made this point of saying that the queen grew up being taught by her mother how to pray. And that every night that she would kneel beside her bed and she would pray. She learned how to pray. And it was this practice of prayer that she maintained throughout her whole life. Her practice of prayer was one of the, 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 the foundations, the bedrocks of her life and her faith. And that faith was intrinsic to who the queen was. And that prayer was intrinsic, this practice of kneeling beside her bed and praying. It's an important note for us, you know, for us parents you know, how we teach our kids and what we model to our kids has a lasting impact. And uh, we know, and that, that another comment was made a little bit later on, that here is a, a woman who has led for 70 years pretty much scandal-free. Someone who lived with integrity. In this age where there is scandal everywhere, here is a woman who had a foundation of faith that was nurtured and carried in prayer. See, the timeless practice of prayer is powerful. It's deeply powerful. And I think we know that. Just a really quick, quick Q&A here, quick response. Uh, just tell me but via hand, uh, who here prays? Who here has prayed? Just put your hand up if you've prayed before. Very good. Next question, who here thinks prayer brings value to their life? Who thinks prayer is important? Just to get... Great. Okay, so we're all in agreement that we have prayed and we think prayer is important. Final question. Who here finds it hard to pray? It's hard, isn't it? Prayer is important. We know it's important. We see the value in our life, but it is hard. You know what? We're not alone. You know, many, many people, whether, they, whether you go to church or not, thinks prayer is important. Statistically, that's the case. You know, 90% of Americans at one point or another have prayed. Now, I know that's America, uh, but, you know, I think that that would be, you know, much of the Western world. In the UK, 
It's interesting that in re, a, a, a survey done just last year that emerging generations are more likely to pray. There was a report that came out that said that 51% of 18 to 34-year-olds 30, uh, say that they pray at least once a month compared with 24% of those aged 55 and over. You would have thought in our secular world that actually prayer would be on the nose. But actually with emerging generations, prayer is important. Now Jesus also says that prayer is important. He understands the value of prayer and he invites us. In fact, he expects us to pray. And so we're going to dive in and we're going to look at this morning the prayer that we just prayed before, the prayer that was conducted in Westminster Hall just this Wednesday, the Lord's Prayer. And here's what I want to do this morning. We're actually going to get practical. We're going to look a little bit at the content of the prayer, but I want to look more at the model of the prayer. And what can we learn from the way in which Jesus taught his disciples, which includes us, to pray? And so I encourage you, as, 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 you, as we go through this message today, be taking notes, be thinking of ways in which you can pick up some practices. What needs to change in your life? What, what things need to stop? What things need to start so that you can grow in your prayer life, so that you can join in your mind and your life and your heart against the resistance or join the resistance against distraction in our world. All right, so Matthew chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles, open it up, uh, or on your digital device, on, the words will be on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. And Jesus says this, When you pray, do not, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For those of you who were here last week, I, uh, I looked at how you could live like a pagan. I know that's a little bit surprising, but we, we said, if you want to live like a pagan, Jesus showed us, taught us a little bit later on in Matthew chapter 6, how to live like a pagan. He said, this is how the pagans lived. But then we looked at how to live like Jesus, how to join in the lifestyle of Jesus living a life of simplicity. Well, it's really interesting here that Jesus again teaches us how to pray like the pagans and the Pharisees. And obviously Jesus is saying, hey, this is how you pray like a pagan. This is how you pray like a Pharisee. But I don't want you to pray like this. How to pray like a Pharisee. How to pray like a pagan. Jesus says, let's start with the Pharisee. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others, don't pray like hypocrites or don't pray like Pharisees because let's be honest, when Jesus says hypocrites, he's thinking about the teachers of the law. He's thinking about the Pharisees. 
You know, often throughout his life, in his ministry, Jesus aimed his guns at the Pharisees. Not literal guns, obviously, but his theological guns, his judgment. And he says to the Pharisees, he says, you are hypocrites. You are whitewashed tombs. You all look good on the outside, but on the inside, you are rotten to the core. You look great on the outside. You may pray well on the outside, but on the inside, there is no heart. There is no meaning. See, prayer is not about using lots of technical words. Prayer is not about saying the right words in order that God may do something for you. See, prayer is not about performance. It's not about performance. And when you pray like a hypocrite, when you pray like a Pharisee, it's about performance because it's about getting something from God rather than getting God. And that is the heart of the hypocrite. That's the heart of the Pharisee. And you know what? I think sometimes we do this, don't we? We come to God treating him a little bit like a vending machine. If I just say the right thing at the right time, if I just say it enough, then God will give me what I want. And we all do it, don't we? I watch it with my kids. You know, I know that when my kids want something from me because they just move into manipulation mode. You know, they'll just say the right thing or they'll come with tears in their eyes and they'll look up at me with their big eyes and ask, they, they, they move. Now, it's, hear my heart here, I, I love them. And they should know that, that I love them and that I want what's best for them and I know their needs. And I'm an imperfect father. But remember, we come to a father who is perfect Last week, our Father knows what we need and He wants to give it to us. And so we don't need to manipulate. We don't need to twist God's arm. He knows what we need. We are invited just to participate, not in performance, but to participate in relationship, in family. The hypocrite, the Pharisee, the religious person is an insecure person who's always trying to twist the arm of God. That's not how we're to pray. We're not to pray like the Pharisee on one hand and we're not to pray like the pagan on the other. Remember last week I looked at this, the pagan is, is not what we would understand today. When Jesus says pagan, he means Gentile. Those in that context, in that culture, part of the Greco-Roman world who were, were Gentiles, those who often had polytheistic worship, worshipping many different gods or many Greek gods when Jesus says pagans, he means the Gentiles. And he says, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard, not be, be, they will be heard because of their many words. You know, they used to pray, the pagans used to babble on. It literally means heaping up empty praises. All words, no meaning. All lips, no mind, no heart. Mindless words. You know, there's that kind of prayer now, transcendental meditation, kind of emptying yourself and just... Using mindless words, that's not the prayer that we're invited to pray. And we're not invited to pray mindless liturgy either. Now, do you find yourself sometimes just going through the motions, just praying the liturgy mindlessly? No, that's not how we are to pray. We're invited again into relationship to, to bring God our heart and our mind and our life and say, God, this is where I'm at. You know, if I come back to my family and communication, the one thing that Megan hates is when I, in conversation, just zone out. Now, men, let's be honest for a moment. 
We all have times, and, 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 and women, you know this because there's a glaze that comes across our eyes when you're talking to us that you know that the, the eyes are open and they're looking, but your mind is far away. That, that I, that's often me. And it, I'm learning because it drives Megan nuts. You know what she really hates? She hates when I ask her a question and then I just dial out. I'm terrible at this. She's like, hey, Megan, I ask, and then I'm just not listening. And it's not good for my marriage. And most, some of you men are laughing because you know you do that. That is not the kind of relationship that we're invited to with God. We're not called to dial out, but we're called to lean in. We're not to babble and use mindless words. But we're to come with faith. See, the prayer of the Pharisee and the pagan is impersonal and therefore ineffective. Jesus says, don't pray like the pagan. Don't pray like the Pharisee. Pray like me. Pray like me. So Jesus says, as they come to me, he says, this then is how you should pray. And when Jesus teaches us something, we should listen. And then he gives them the Lord's Prayer. But before he gives them the structure of the Lord's Prayer, he says, go into your room, close the door. First thing that Jesus says is prayer is private. And by that I don't mean prayer is something you don't do with others. By that Jesus does not mean you shouldn't pray with others or pray in corporate settings. What he's saying is don't be a Pharisee, don't make prayer a performance. And I think even more deeply than this, I think what he's saying is don't pray in a way where you will be distracted. Close the door and be with your father so that you are undivided and undistracted in your attention of him. If Jesus was teaching us today, if, this was, if Jesus was telling us how to pray, perhaps he wouldn't say, go into your room and close the door. He would say, go into your room and close your laptop. Go into your room and turn off your phone. Go into your room and turn off your notifications. I want to be with you. God says. Jesus says, close distraction. Close distraction. Prayer is private. Secondly, prayer is personal. And we see this in, as he flows, particularly in the first part of the Lord's Prayer. He says, our Father. It's not Lord. It's not Master. It's not King of the universe. It starts with our Father. As I said a few weeks ago, this would have been mind-blowing for the disciples, what we can actually come and we can address God as our Father, it's personal. And we know that the invitation of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, that we have a Father in heaven who loves us. As we see in Romans and we see in Galatians, that we can talk to our Father as Abba Father, Daddy God. It's personal. Secondly, Jesus says, our Father, your kingdom come. God Father, I want you to come. I want your presence to be with me. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Come down and be with me. Be with us. There's a personal sense of God, your presence. May your presence be amongst us. Jesus says, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, I want to do what you're doing. God, I want to be participating in who you are and your kingdom here on earth. You know, Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father 
doing. The reason that Jesus could say that was because he was in deep relationship with him. Because Jesus could say, your will be done in my life. See, when we pray, when we pray, when we come to a personal God, we're changed by him. We're changed in his presence. There is something about being in the presence of God that changes us. And then thirdly, prayer is purposeful. And we see that in the second part of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus just works through three key areas. And I actually think that as we look practically at prayer, these areas need to come up. They need to be addressed. Firstly, there's the prayer for provision. Give us today our daily bread. Again, this comes back to this life of simplicity, saying, God, I'm relying on you. God, you see my needs. Will you provide me with your needs? Give us today our daily bread. Then we move on to a prayer for pardon. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's this, God, will you forgive me? It's this prayer of repentance, a prayer of confession, prayer of saying, God, I need your forgiveness. Fill me with your forgiveness every day. He has forgiven us. We take hold of it. We take hold of his power and we offer it to others. And then thirdly, there's a prayer for protection. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. So often we forget that we are in a battle. So often we forget that there is a contest. So often we forget that actually there is an evil one who wants to steal, rob and destroy and destroy your faith, to discourage you. Now, if you're walking through a season of discouragement, of doubt, of fear, Maybe you need to step back and ask the question, what, are, what truths have I forgotten? What are the lies that are getting in from the evil one that are trying to take me out and rob me and steal my joy and my life? Jesus teaches us to pray for provision, for pardon, and for protection. And as we do that, we are changed. See, here's the wonderful thing. The practice of prayer changes us. Richard Foster says this, to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. You know, often we just see prayer as, uh, again, that, that vending machine. Oh, God, just do that out there. But actually, it's, not, it's just as much as asking God to, to, to work in the world as, as it is the practice of transformation in us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. See, to pray is to change. The practice of prayer reorders our lives. In a world of distraction, I think that this is the that prayer is such a gift. And please, I want you to dial in and grab hold of this. So I'm going to get really practical now because prayer is practiced. And practice prayer is powerful prayer. Practice prayer is powerful because, as Richard Foster says, it transforms us. And Jesus understood that. And I want us to grab hold of this this morning. Because I'd hate for us to go through this Rhythms of Grace series and hear, again, lots of great things and great theology and actually not be changed and actually not put in some of these rhythms of grace that set us free from the binds of the pressures around us. Come on, let's be honest. Who here is distracted, easily distracted? Who here finds themselves 
orienting themselves to the TV or the phone more often than they should? Who here wishes that they would spend more time in prayer? Well, today is the day. Here's an opportunity. I want to invite you into an opportunity to actually begin some new practices. Jesus practiced prayer. It was the bedrock and the foundation of his spiritual force and power. It enabled him not to be distracted when he walked along the streets, that he could give purpose, dignity, life to the people that he encountered. It was because he prayed that he knew how to do the will of the Father. And we see here, firstly, this beautiful model of prayer. Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer as an example. And just four, four things about the model of prayer that we see in the Lord's Prayer. Firstly, it's short. It's around 100 words. You know, Jesus did not give the common book of prayer, as wonderful as the common book of prayer is. When the disciples came, will you teach us to pray? pray? Jesus didn't go, well, listen, I've, I've been writing for the last three years. Here is the manual. Gives him a, gives, he gives them 100 words. It's short and it's simple. Common language, easily understood. It wasn't in religious tone. It was in the common language. It was short. It was simple. It's rhythmic, but not repetitive. So rhythmic, in fact, that 2,000 years later in Westminster Hall, people can just hit the rhythm. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. It's short, it's simple, it's rhythmic, but not repetitive, and it's regular. Jesus intended us to pray this daily. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily, this is a daily prayer. It is regular. Short, simple, rhythmic, regular. This is the way in which Jesus invites us to pray. And so I, I, for the last few moments of my message today, I actually want to get practical. And I think that there's some principles today that we just jump into that I'd love for you to take as we continue to journey through this series. Now, this, the last couple of weeks, I've come across this book called The Common Rule by, uh, by James, uh, Justin Early. And uh, you can jump on Amazon Prime or iBooks or go to Kurong and pick up this book. And it's one book. And, and he's, he's actually riffing off. It's a, it's a modern way for, of dis disciplines and discipleship Riffing off ancient ideas. See, there was the, the rule of life is something that goes right back to the Desert Fathers. Maybe you've heard of the rule of life. Um, Augustine had one, Benedict had one, and Benedict's, the Benedictine rule it was a, a, a well-known one. Different patterns and orders of life to help believers follow Jesus. Now, rule doesn't mean rules. Rule actually comes from the word trellis or guide. And the trellis is, is something, as you know, which is used to help vines grow. It gives order and structure for growth. That is what the word rule means, a rule of life. And I invite you to think over these coming weeks, how can you build a rule of life in your own life? And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to step out and I'm actually going to take some, or all actually, I'm going to have a crack over the next 30 days. For me, I'm inviting you to do the same, a 30-day reset. 
stepping in, creating your own rule. And I don't know if we've got the picture up there uh, of just his guide. And uh, I'm going to just show you there. Have we got that, um, that guide, that rule, that circle there? It's not coming up? Okay. All righty. You can, that's a shame. Let me, let, me, let me talk it through. So he has a whole bunch of rules. I'm going to go to it here in, in, in my book. You can see here, I'm going to hold it up uh, for you. Can you all see? There you go. If you go to the common rule, did you find it, Helen, on your phone? The com- if you type in the common rule by Justin Early, it'll come up. Maybe you could do that. We're, we're digital disciples. You can look at it whilst they're looking at it at the back. And then I'm going to drill into prayer. He's got a whole range of different practices. See, we're inviting over this season, I'm going to invite you to stop some things and to start some things. And he speaks about things that we pick up, things that we embrace and things that we resist. And then there's the orientation towards God and towards others. And creating new habits and new behaviours that shape us and form us towards God. And so he talks about four daily habits. The first daily habit is kneeling three times for prayer. Morning, noon, and night. I'm going to unpack that in a minute. The next one is to find a meal with others every day, whether that's with your family or with a friend. Whether that's at work, with lunch, or at home, or with a friend. Thirdly, a daily habit of one hour with the phone off. Some people getting the shakes already. One hour with your phone off. And fourthly, opening the Bible, Scripture before phone. Scripture before digital technology. And next week, Rod's going to be speaking more about Scripture. They're the daily practices that, he is, that he's learnt, that, he's, that he puts in. And then there's four weekly habits. One hour of conversation with a friend. This is the hard one here. I'm looking at this going, how am I going to make this happen? Curate curate media to four hours. Curate. I love that word, curate. Curate your media. Netflix, Amazon, TV, sport to four hours every week. Fast from something for 24 hours. I know there's some mumbling going on. Reordering of the brain, reordering of the life, reordering of our orientations of life. And fourthly, Sabbath. Sabbath. And Sab's going to be speaking about Sabbath in two weeks' time. I'm looking forward to that. I've realised, uh, and James, uh, to, uh, Justin talks about this in his book, Keystone Habits. When we build keystone habits in our life, habits where other habits follow, it helps us. It guides us. I've realised that Sabbath is a keystone habit. Jesus knew it. That's why he tells us to do it. All righty. So that's practical. We got that. I don't think we, we managed to get it on the screen. But go and have a look at it later on if you haven't. Let me just really touch base on the, on the prayer. And join me. I'd just say join me as I try and implement these into my life over the next 30 days. You can curate it, you can change it, but what I'm inviting us as a church to do is be intentional. Again, let's be intentional. Let's not just be hearers of the word, but let's be doers of the word 
Today it starts maybe for some of us. Some of us. What are we going to do in order that our life and our habits will be changed? Our lives will be formed in new ways. Let's talk about prayer. I'm gonna focus in on prayer for the last few moments. You know, we hear here, he talks about prayer, kneeling prayer. Morning, noon, and night. Finding your way to pray. Finding the structure for you. And this is for you to think about how can you pray. I love the idea of kneeling. There is something very physical about kneeling that forms our brain, that forms our heart and says something about who we are. Well, maybe you need to find your chair or if you're Jason Ellsmore, I know he'd be standing here and he'd be shaking around a milk crate. Find your milk crate, whatever it is, your place to go and pray. Sit with scripture, sit in silence, sit with your journal. I'm a journaler. Journaler focuses my mind in both prayer and scripture. I combine prayer and scripture Here's three things that you could do for, here's some uh, things that you can do for the three part times of prayer. Morning prayer. Start your day as you kneel before your bed or however you pray and give thanks to God. Find your identity in Him again before you go to your phone and scroll or go to your emails telling you who you are. Start by receiving the truth of who you are. My Father, you are my Father. You love me. My identity is found in you before it is before performance. Begin your day by actually declaring and speaking, receiving who God is and what he says over you. Each morning I I sit in a psalm. I love the psalms. The psalms for me just speak of of the walk of God. I was just journaling this morning about how the psalms echo so much of Job. And Job, perhaps the first book ever written in the Bible, talks about the stuff of life and the pain of life and the wrestle and the worry and the challenge. And the Psalms, picking up some of those themes, directs the heart towards the God who loves us. Morning prayer, start your day by receiving your identity in Him. Midday prayer. You know, midday prayer could be for you the Lord's Prayer. You know, there's a great app. And again, I'm gonna invite you, you feel free to grab your phone right now. It's called the Pause app. It's uh, been developed by John Eldridge, John Eldridge and his team. And you can use that and it notifies you and leads you through a prayer. It's called the Pause app. And maybe that will help you in the middle of your day just to pause for two, three, four, five minutes. And whatever's going on in your world, whatever's going on in your, your week, whatever's going on in your work, to again, stop, pause, remind, refresh and go, oh God, you are Lord of my, of my life. You are Lord of my work. Try out the pause app. Try Find whatever works for you. The Lord's Prayer. And then at night, before you go to bed, again, find yourself praying. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an ancient form of prayer called the Eximum Prayer. Eximum means just to, to pause, to stop, to exhale and to give back. It's an opportunity to repent, to let go. And this has been done for years. Again, just a short reassessment of your day, a time to be able to look back, to give the day back to God before you go to bed. And there are some questions that you can ask and and they're on the screen behind me, ways in which you can enter in. And let me encourage you with all these prayers, come up with your own way of doing it. Maybe come up with your own liturgy, your own triggers, put it on your phone, put it on a sheet next to your bed, wherever it is that helps you guide your prayer. 
And as you sit and reflect on the day, ask questions like, God, where did you see me in my home, in my daily chores, in my work? Where did I miss your presence? God, where, were you? where did I see you in my commute? Where did I see you as I was going about my day? God, where did I encounter you in my meals? Where was I ungrateful? God, where did I hear you in the media? Where did I, where did I see you in, in devices? God, where did I shut your voice out? All these kind of questions. God, how do I encounter you in my neighbourhood? Just come up with a set of questions that helps you just pause. And this is something that I'm going to be stepping into, attempting to start. I've had some fits and starts with the X-Men over the last couple of years. I'm going to try and put it into practice. Here's the thing. Five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the middle of the day, five minutes at night, forming and reminding and shaping your brain, your mind and your heart. 15 minutes a day amounts to 90 hours a year. 90 hours of allowing God to form and shape your heart. Short, simple, rhythmic, repetitive. What may God be inviting you into? Maybe you've already got an amazing prayer life, but here's, here's the reality. I think for all of us, we all wish that we would improve and grow in our prayer life. There are other ways in which you can engage in daily prayer. Other keystone moments. For us as a family, every morning we have devotions before school. It's an opportunity to pray as a family. It's a keystone moment that we've put in. Every night a keystone moment for us, a keystone habit is that we have dinner together around the table. And so when we gather together for dinner around the table, not only do we communicate together, but before we leave the table as a family, we open God's word and we pray. Find those keystone moments and attach prayer into those moments so that you can grow, shape and move away from the distractions that our world compels us to. And then there's weekly prayer. And as we see here in, in, uh, in this structure from Justin Early in The Common Rule, he encourages us to fast from something for 24 hours. Whether that be, now I know for me, food, sugar, digital devices. They would be the three big ones for me that I find myself going to all the time. So I'm going to be considering that. And as we step into a place of fasting, again, we're directing our hearts, our minds, and our lives towards God. Find the way in which you can fast from something. With the Sabbath, finding that 24-hour Sabbath, perhaps you can embed an extended time of prayer. You know, we have opportunities for corporate prayer too. Monday to Friday on Zoom from 7 to 7.30, we sit in the psalm and we pray for our church, we pray for our city, and we pray for our world. Yeah, it's costly. We'd love for you to join. Just join wherever you are. We have people sitting in car parks, at work, at home, just joining in for prayer for half an hour. Maybe you can just commit once a week to join in with corporate prayer for 30 minutes on Zoom. Details are on Facebook. Details are on our website if you want to find out more. Or find a weekly time with prayer. Every Wednesday morning, I call a friend 
And I spend half an hour to 45 minutes just debriefing the week and then we pray for each other. Is there someone that you can pray with for an hour or so each week, half an hour, 15 minutes, whatever it is, connecting in with somebody. I've only just started it this year and it's been a real gift to me. Find ways in which you can engage in intentional weekly prayer. I know this is tin tack stuff. I know it's detailed but, and it is practical, but these are the practices that we need to participate in as we transform our heart and our mind. I'm going to get Sarah and Helen to come up. Prayer is the act of resistance in a distracted age. Prayer is the act of resistance in a distracted age. You know what? I'm not surprised that our world is longing for things like mindfulness and colouring in and whatever it is to try and escape the distractions that compel us in our world. But here's the truth, and I know this for myself, and I've been so challenged with this because I see it. I see how my brain has been formed and shaped around this. I'm like attached to it. And so many of us have shaped our brain around digital media these days, that our neural pathways have been shaped and formed. And we need to find some new intent, some new practices, some new ways to shape our lives around the life of Jesus. James K.A. Smith says this, We can't counter the power of cultural liturgies with didactic information poured out into our intellects. We can't recalibrate the heart from the top down through merely informational measures. The orientation of the heart happens from the bottom up through the formation of our habits of desire. Learning to love God takes practice. This is an invitation to practice, to find the rhythms of grace that will actually form and shape us in deep ways. Here's what I'd love for us to do. Sarah is going to sing over us a song, an old song actually, before the throne of God above. And here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to sit as these beautiful words, this invitation to come to the throne of God in prayer. I invite you, what's, what's the thing that you're going to stop? What are the things that you're going to attempt to stop in this next season? What are the things that you feel that God is calling you to start? What are the things that you need to step into in this season so that you can fight and resist distraction and enter into deep new places of prayer with God? So as Sarah sings... Maybe you need to grab your phone or grab a pen and a piece of paper. What is the Spirit of God saying to you? How is He revealing His call and His purposes to you? Let's be still for a moment. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I just pray, Lord God, that as we, as we think very, we respond practically today. God, that you'll be speaking to our hearts, our minds, and our lives. Shape us, inform us.
in new ways, I pray. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you, or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.